This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Okay, it's 12 o'clock and I want to keep to our time. Sounds like you guys are having some good discussions. Um, where are some of the places that you guys said would be the most dangerous to, st- uh, to be a missionary in? You said Australia. Okay. Where did you say? Where there's cannibal tribes. Okay, cannibal tribes. That would be kind of scary. Yeah? Uh, Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Okay. You said the United States. The United States. You know, go ahead. Yeah, because um, we're comfortable. Okay, because we're comfortable here. Okay. The United States because we're comfortable here. Okay. Anyone else want to share? Go ahead. Wow, very true. Anywhere you are that God does not want you to be. That's, I would agree, that's probably one of the most dangerous places to be if you're wanting to be a missionary and then you're not there. Kind of like Jonah, right? And even in Jonah's situation, God sent a fish to rescue him. So let's go and have, oh yes, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I think it depends on what you're scared of. Yeah. True. Very true. So um, just to, I'm going to repeat it for the recording. You said that it just, it depends on what you're afraid of. You know, it could be the actual community college or university you attend, you know. So very good. Well, let's begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Eternal Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God that sees, hears, and knows. But even more importantly, you have promised that you will give us a word in due season. Lord, we are here because we want to hear from you. I pray, Lord, as we talk about public universities, I pray, Father, that you will instill in our hearts what you see on these campuses. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, you're in the right, just so you know which workshop you're in. This is when the mission field comes to you. And we opened with prayer already. My name is Elena Rodriguez, and I am from Michigan. Um, This is my husband. He's here helping me with the mic, Danny, who I'm very, very thankful that God has given him to me and vice versa. Um, But just a little bit about myself. I've been involved in public campus ministry for about 17 years, um, both in an official capacity and then volunteer as well. But my journey with public campus ministry started in a community college. How many of you guys have attended a community college or a public university? Just curious. Okay, so you guys understand that context. So I went from being in an Adventist boarding academy to going home to my local church and attending the local community college, which happened to be literally right across the street from my church in Petoskey. And we have the the pastor from Petoskey here, which is so wonderful. Um, And and I remember going to school there and just feeling so out of place, like I just did not belong. And thankfully, I had the next year, I had my friend who came home and was going to the community college as well. And we began to pray together. Once a week, we would meet in the church parking lot and we would just sit in our cars and pray together because we just, we needed something. So um, I actually ended up dropping out of school because it was just too much for me. Um, I dropped out of college when I was probably about 20. And um, I was also going to work full time. 
and going to school full time. I worked in a factory 40 hours a week, night shift, and then going to school during the day. You can add that up. It doesn't work very well. So I just continued working. And then um, fast forward to the spring of 2002, I really felt God pulling on my heart that I needed to do something for him. And someone had given me an application to Canvas. How many of you guys have ever done door-to-door canvassing? So God put on my heart that I needed a Canvas, and specifically Big Book. Not too many people Big Book now, but um, to Big Book. There was no Big Book program in Michigan. And he handed me the application in November, and I never filled it out. Um, how many of you guys have ever done that before? The Lord has kind of like put this on your heart and said, oh, you need to do this. And um, you just kind of like leave it there. Well, the Holy Spirit was like, Elena, you need to fill this application out. So I filled out the application finally. I think this was the beginning of February. I filled out the application. I sent the application in feeling a complete relief because I'm like, they're not going to accept me to the program. I haven't been canvassing in over seven years. And I was thinking all these reasons why. Well, long story short, I ended up canvassing that summer, leaving my job, and uh, I was in a relationship at that time, and I knew that that relationship was going to end, and there was just so many things that were involved. But during that summer, something really significant happened in my life. Um, One being, I began reading the Bible for myself. Because up to that point, um, I didn't read any of the books of Ellen White because I really didn't see any value in her and in her writings. Um, And I questioned a lot of her writings. And then someone questioned me, why don't you start reading it? And so I'm like selling these books door to door. And so I started reading it. And as I did, I began to read The Desire of Ages and I discovered Christ for the first time in my life by, by reading through the Gospels and reading through the Desire of Ages. And I had this transformational experience with Christ. But this was just the beginning. At the end of the summer, I heard about, I knew that I couldn't go home. If I went home, my, my journey with the Lord was going to be interrupted. And so I prayed. I was like, Lord, I don't know where I need to go, but I know it's not home. <laughs> I got home on a Tuesday, I got home on a Monday in August. This was, I think, August 15. And I had heard about the missionary training program, which at that time was based in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan. And I had filled out the application. And that application, we have one of our former missionaries here. So it's a long application process, isn't it? It takes a while because you have these essay questions that are very reflective and you have to fill them out and you're like, ah, oh. you know. And it took me an entire day to fill this out. I sent in my application and God worked in such a miraculous way because the program had already started that Thursday. People had already arrived. And I got a call that night from the director inviting me to be a part of the program and that a scholarship was available for me and that I didn't have to pay because I didn't have a whole lot of money to go. So my car was still packed from canvassing and I drove to Ann Arbor, Michigan to start my missionary training program knowing, not knowing that this was going to be a life calling. Ever since that year, that missionary training program, I decided to take that year off and just dedicate it to the Lord and say, God, this is your time. 
This is for an opportunity for you to speak to me personally and individually. And that year, I have never been so shaken in my life. Everything that could be shaken was shaken. I watched my grandfather die. That was a really hard moment for me. I love my grandfather. Um, everything that I thought that I knew about Adventism completely disrupted. I, at that point, I grew up in the Adventist school. And this is, known, this is not a, a, a disrespect to Adventist schools. I think it's more of a reflection on my desire to actually learn the Adventist message. I didn't know what the anatypical Day of Atonement was. I didn't know what it meant to really keep and cherish the beauty of the Sabbath. I didn't know what it meant for Jesus to be my intercessor. And as I began to discover these truths, my life changed. And the missionary training program was a safe place for me to deal with myself. It was a safe place for me to make mistakes. But I want to talk to you today about what God has placed on my heart, and that is public campus ministry. There's a, there's a need for public campus ministry, and I want to share that with you today. So I work part-time now with the Center for Adventist Ministry to Public University Students, and currently we're based at Michigan State University. And we have a missionary training program there for students that want to learn how to minister to public universities. Um, we both have a missionary training program, which includes a scholar, a scholar program, which you can be a student while um, attending the program. Um, but what I want to talk to you today is about um, some statistics and what you find at a public university. So this is the, actually the law library at the University of Michigan. Um, and it's a very secular university. Um, and specifically, I want to tell you the story of a young lady named Sue. That's not her real name. Um, I changed her name. But she came to study at a university here in the United States from China, from mainland China. And she was actually with a con an exchange pro program with the Confucius Institute. And what this is, is it's an exchange program to help like cross-cultural communication between the different universities. She was actually um, teaching Chinese to high school students while in, the, while in the U.S. and working on research and that sort of thing. So she came here to, as an exchange program for two years. While she was at a bus stop, a young man came up to her and started talking to her. Now this man had, this young man was in his undergrad at the university there, and they just struck up a conversation, started talking about spiritual things, and he it developed a friendship, and he started inviting her to the students' programs that they had there on campus. They would meet on Friday nights, they would meet during the week for a small group Bible study, and they would, every time they, he would see her, he would always invite her to come. And she would be like, no, no, no. But finally, one time, she decided to come, and it happened to be a Sabbath evening that they were closing the Sabbath. Now, picture this. A Chinese young woman from mainland China who has no religion. Her parents are cultural Buddhist. And she comes into this meeting, this home, where a bunch of public university students who are Adventist are closing the Sabbath together. That doesn't seem like the 
the best way to introduce someone to Christianity, would you say? I guess it depends on the person, right? And that was the case in Sue, or Sue's case. She absolutely loved it. She saw in the students, there's something different about these people. They have the peace of God. There's, it's almost like they, they have love and peace just exuding from him from them. And that's what she later told me. And over the next two years, she began to study with people. She began to meet the, the students, just befriended her. There's many times I would go and visit with her and she made a decision to be baptized. I wish I could say that that's the end of the story for her, but it is a struggle. She's in mainland China now. She lost a very, very, very prestigious job because of the Sabbath. And she gets a lot of criticism from her parents because she has chosen to be faithful. And it hasn't been an easy road. She hasn't always been able to keep the Sabbath. She, there was one job she was working, tireless, many hours on the Sabbath. And finally, she had to quit it. And again, she got some kind of flack from her parents. See, China is very, very secular. Um, I've been there, and it's, it's such a, a rich culture, but it's like religion really has no, no context there. But that's the story of Sue. That's just one story. I want you to consider this number. 1,095,299 international students currently study or study in, 19, uh, study in the United States from 2019 to 2018 and 19 school year. This number does not include students from international countries that study at private universities, community college. This does not include numbers of refugee students, nor does it include in the, those that are naturalized but are from other countries. So let's say Saudi Arabia, students that have made their home are Iranian students. So this is a, a very small number in comparison to how many international students are actually studying at public universities. Does that make sense? Okay. So here's just kind of a breakdown of where a majority of students come from. Where are most of the students from? China, right? There's 34%. Okay, what's the next country? India, okay. And how about the next one? South Korea, and now the next one's a little bit tricky. Where do you think the fourth largest country that is sending students here to the US? Saudi Arabia, correct. I wanna share with you a quick story. Uh, in my undergrad, um, I made a decision to go back to school when I was sent to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. How many of you guys are familiar with the geography of Michigan? Okay, so the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, if, for those of you who don't know, is very remote to the lower portion. It's a completely different culture, different people. I mean, and where I was at, all the street names were in Finnish. Okay? If that being Finland, Finnish. Okay? So it's a very different place. And I went to a university called Michigan Technological University. And I, God just opened the doors for me to be able to work in the writing center at that university, which afforded me the opportunity to work with a lot of international students. And, um, but the story I have to share with you was actually someone who was my neighbor um, because he knew that I worked in the writing center. He needed help with his um, CV. This student was from the Middle East. And so he asked me to help him with his 
CV. So I went over to his house and we worked on his CV. And we had a really good conversation. He started asking me questions about my faith because he knew I was a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And all of a sudden, he's like, I have a question for you. And all of a sudden, he goes over. And on top of this bookshelf, he, and he's, he was probably about a foot taller than me. I'm not very tall. And he reaches up on the very top of the bookshelf. And all the way to the back, he grabs this book. Now, mind you, I was very curious. So he comes back, and he, hold, he opens his hand. It's a really small book, and it was a green Bible. You know, this, you know the ones that the Gideons give out? It has the Psalms in the New Testament. And he's like, is this, is this real? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And so he's like, well, is this, is this the Bible? Is this real? Is what's in here real? And so I explained to him that it was the New Testament and the Psalms, but it didn't include the Old Testament, that this was something that was given out. So it was easily accessible. And he began to ask me all the questions. And I was trying to figure out why he hid it all the way in the back. And I realized because he was one of the older um, students among his community. And for them to know that he had a Bible in his apartment would have been not good. Let's just put it that way. Let me tell you another story of uh, someone from the Middle East. Um, this young man, I became very close friends with. We talked about faith and uh, very many things that we have in common. And at one point, he's like, you're a Muslim. And I was like, no, but in this sense that you're saying in terms of you know, our belief in, because in, in, uh, we were talking about different things of, of the God of the Bible and things like that. And, um, and we went through the Ten Commandments and in this one conversation. And we went through every single Ten Commandment. And I asked him, I was like, as a Muslim, are you expected to obey this commandment? Every single one. I skipped the Fourth Commandment. And then I went back to the Fourth Commandment. I said, well, then why, if you're expected to, whoops, if you're expected as a Muslim to obey all these other nine, why is it then you don't keep the Sabbath? And he didn't know. He's like, I don't know. And it's, I'm still in contact with many of these, to, these, these friends today, and that's why I'm not sharing the countries that they're from. But one thing I can tell you is that on these universities, especially in the Middle East, we have such an amazing opportunity here in the United States because they're coming here. So I want to show you just like kind of a diagram of where students are coming from within the U.S., um, so one out of every three international students, based on that um, diagram that we just saw, um, are studying either in Texas, California, or New York. But even then, if you look at, um, you can see even there's quite a few states in green, and that's between 10 to 50,000. So there's a lot of these university students, or um, international students that are studying here in the US. This information is, is taken from Open Doors. It's a nonprofit organization that tracks, they've been tracking international students both studying abroad from the US and those coming with, into the US. It is, um, it is a, a subsidy, uh, sub, well, it's a sub organization, a sub organization of the government. So it's not, uh, it's not religiously affiliated. This is just looking at statistics of international students coming to study in the U.S. for the purpose of cross-cultural experiences. So just want to give you context of where this information comes from. Um, so these are the numbers of those top four countries that we looked at. 
Um, Saudi Arabia is, I, there were so many students at our university from Saudi Arabia, and they would um, bring me dates. After they would go home and bring me, they have the best dates in the world. They, they're so good. Anyways, um, so there's many different ways that we can interact with people from these countries. Um, but I, I believe that that is one of the biggest reasons why we should reach these universities. So I would like you to turn to your neighbor. I'm a teacher by trade, so I like interaction, so I hope you don't mind. And plus, it's before lunch, and so this is the time everybody wants to sleep. Or you're really hungry and very distracted. So what I'd like you to do is I want you to think, and then I want you to share what, are, what barriers are removed when students come to study with, in the US? What barriers are, are removed when they come to study in the US? Do, does that make sense? OK, turn to your neighbor. Find a neighbor if you're separated in, from a distance. Okay, how about you guys? What barriers are? Um, well, family, like, like the one kid um, that come join us? People's point of views about your religion, mm -hmm. your family's point of views, that's the barriers Okay. Um, but when they come to the U.S., what barrier is removed? So I guess in the case, their family isn't necessarily here. Okay. They actually have to pay three times as much money. They have to pay a lot more money to come here. Yeah. I mean, okay. Let's in terms of like ministry. If let's say I was coming to the U.S. from China, if. What makes it easier for you to reach me coming here to the U.S. versus you going to China? Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. We don't have to. We don't have to learn their language. We don't have to, I mean, obviously we can learn phrase and stuff, but language isn't the, the biggest barrier, right, for us to reach them. Um, they're trying to learn our culture as opposed to us trying to learn their culture. Does that make sense? So they're trying to learn, okay, what is the U.S. culture all about and the college experience? Okay, yep. What are you thinking? Ooh, that's loud. What are you thinking? You didn't know yet? That's okay. Okay, I want to hear some of your answers. What are some barriers that are removed when students come here to the U.S. versus if we were to go to their countries? Yes. Oh, hello. They're coming here specifically to learn. So they're already in a more open state of mind because they mm -hmm. want to experience the different things here. And the other was that they're also more vulnerable because they've left everything familiar behind. And so they're more eager for interaction with other people. Correct. Okay, very good. Okay, anyone else? From an, under, an understanding point of view, people who come in from other countries, especially China uh, and South Korea, that was 
I was sharing with them. Their level of education is way higher than the United States. So I, number one, don't see why they will come here unless that they just come for the easy school way. <laughs> That's it. Um, but the, only, the other part is that on those countries, the control system is way different. You're, you guys are not, the United States is free. You, you can do whatever you want. They are not. Mm -hmm. So when they come here, they're seeking for that. So you see that for them to go to school here and pass through it while we sometimes struggle, or struggle to it, it's they're there in a party because school there is too hard. Mm -hmm. Here is so easy. So they average really well here. Mm -hmm. And you see now as a turnover rate that a lot of international students that come thinking, you know, I want to go to the States, study this, and then come back to my country to be successful. No, they stay here. They don't go back to the countries because the opportunities that are offered here. Mm -hmm. And because when they went to school in here, they average really high. So they have all doors open here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Someone else? Yes. Oh, right here first. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And then we'll come back up there. Um, he kind of touched on that, but we talked about not only, like, sounds like freedom of speech in a lot of places, but also religious freedom. So mm -hmm. um, they're just able to have a lot of freedom, like he was saying. Okay. Okay. And then up here. Depends how loud you can talk, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. Ours was basically the same thing. Um, but yeah, um, in other countries, they don't have, they often don't have the freedom to discuss <laughs> religious topics, discuss mm -hmm. other religions. Um, you could be punished like severely by the government for that. Um, something we have here, an opportunity to share, an opportunity for them to learn that they don't have okay. at home. Okay. There's still one more that I'm thinking of that I haven't heard yet. Go ahead. Okay, and family. Cultural Culture. Pressures. Okay. Correct. So they don't have that pressure, at least while they're here. When they go back home, then it changes. Okay, there's still one thing. I'm, yes. You understand. <laughs> <laughs> and another barrier that is removed when they come to study in the States is language. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Because they have to test real high in their English skills before getting here. And even those who don't test that high, they have to go through intense English, English classes mm -hmm. um, on their first semesters. Mm -hmm. And also, some of their stereotypes are removed when they get here because maybe they just had one experience with an American in Kenya, mm -hmm. like where I'm from. And maybe they thought Americans are selfish people. But when they get here, they meet a variety of people. Yeah. And it kind of changes their way of thinking. Mm -hmm. OK. Yeah, those are my main ones. OK. Yeah, language. Language is one of those things that you know I don't have to learn Arabic or Mandarin or Cantonese. You know, I'm, they're, they're wanting to learn English. And so that becomes kind of a platform for us to engage in conversation. So the one thing I want to show, though, is that 
the number of international students coming to study in the United States is actually going down. So this, win this, this opportunity to reach that 1040 window is going down. Um, and this is why I think that there's an urgency of reaching our public universities and especially the international students that are studying there. Um, because if you notice, at least in the United States, you know, in 2012-13, there's 9.8% that were coming in and now it's negative 0.9. So it's going down significantly. So just something to think about. So the one main thing, one reason of the three are the international students that we're reaching on these campuses. Um, and it's wonderful to think about that you can reach the 1040 window just by going across the street to reach that campus. So the next one I want, reason I want to share with, uh, talk to you about is I'm going to share with you a young man by the name of John. That's not his real name. Um, but this story could have been anyone's story. Um, this young man um, was raised in a Baptist Christian home, and the church that he had attending had so much infighting, and he just was so put off by religion, left it. And so by the time he got to college, he had no religion at all. In fact, he was more agnostic atheist than anything else when he walked on that campus. And he came across some Adventist students, and they were just some of the friendliest people he'd ever met. And they, be they befriended him. He would come and hang out with them. He started coming to their Bible studies. And I'm not, he's not necessarily baptized at this point, but his life has been dramatically changed and his view of God has been completely altered because of their friendship with him. And this is the next group of people that I want to talk about. This is um, a research from the Public Religion Research Institute. It's a nonprofit um, organization that's dedicated to, they say, independent research. I think every organization has some influence on their research, but this is very interesting. What I want you to notice, I'm hoping this one will work. This is one my I'm wondering, I'm wondering, which one is the... Oh, perfect. Thank you. So down here at the bottom, notice the age groups, right? You have 18 to 19, 30 to 49, 50 to 64, and 65 and older. And what you'll notice is the percentage, or um, this research specifically looked at um, how people define their religious identity based on um, their values. And so the different colors represent the... Uh, their, their religious affiliation. And what you'll notice is those that are unaffiliated, and it's 38 that are here, and I think it's 38%. And it's in the 18 to 29. If you notice, this research was actually done three years ago. So it's a little bit old. Um, four years ago now, because it's 2020. But so... But what you notice is this trend, right? That this, this unaffiliated religious group is growing over time. Here's another um, research that was done by Pew, um, the Pew Forum. And this shows a, a decline significantly. And this is just Christians in general. It's not Christians specifically, just specific denomination, but Christians in general. And the religiously unaffiliated, these are agnostic, atheists, 
These are people who also may have a religious background, but they may be spiritual, but they have no religious affiliation at all. So you see kind of a trend there. This kind of gives you another um, infographic that helps to map the information of the, the change that we're seeing. Um, this was a, a survey that was done on college graduates. So college graduates from the ages, you know, from early 20s all the way to the 60s. Um, and what you'll notice, again, you have unaffiliated 23, which is actually more than Catholic. And this is where a lot of, you know, some of the articles you may have seen posted in the last year or so has quoted, you know, this saying that there's more unaffiliated than Catholics. The reality is that some of the unaffiliated, those aren't all agnostic. Those are not all atheists. Um, the large portion of those unaffiliated are actually people that don't want to be associated with any type of religious or spiritual affiliation. They're just unaffiliated. Um, here's a map, at least of the United States, that gives you an idea of where um, the nuns are, so to speak. Um, so you can kind of map out where you may be studying or where you live, what the ratio is in your area. Um, and so my biggest, you have the international students that are coming here for the United, to, the, to the United States from the 1040 window, and then you have this, this group of people called the nuns, those that don't have any religious affiliation, but that are searching in their heart of hearts. They are searching. They want to know that there's something, like in the case of the young man that I mentioned. Okay, here's the last question. Um, where, and then we'll talk a little bit about this. I'll share a little bit more. Who are some people in the Bible that studied at a secular university and why? I'll just get your feedback now. Who are some people that studied at a public university and why? Moses, Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oops, sorry. Joseph. Nehemiah. Yep, he was in the Persian kingdom. Okay, why did these people, let's say Daniel. Why did Daniel study at a public or a secular university? He was forced to, right? Okay, how about Moses? He was taken to, right? Did he have a choice in that matter? No. God actually had to re-educate him, didn't he? Yeah. Okay, who else? Uh, Joseph. Okay, how about, did you guys know that Paul studied at a secular university? Why did he study at a secular university? Yes. Okay, yeah, in, in this, I think it was the school of Tychicus, he was studying, and he began to reason with them for two years. I call that his community college experience, So, because he was only there for two years. And he was reasoning with them, and as a result, there was some that were, there were one to Christ, and he began to continue to study with them. So in all of these situations, let me ask you a question now. Why do students go to a secular university now? Why do, why do people study at a secular university now? Yes. Yeah. I'll say specifically Seventh-day Adventist Christian students. Why do they study at a secular university now? 
Some of you are studying, studying at a secular university, so you have. Okay, it's cheaper, it's more convenient. I heard something. Variety of classes. Okay, so maybe the specific major that you need. Okay. Accreditation. Um, it's also an opportunity to show your faith. You don't show your faith on an Adventist university. Instead, you withdraw from the people of the world and the university, and it's like a handful, what you can count, that goes to an Adventist university and keep their value. Okay, so going to an Adventist university can, um, you don't necessarily have to necessarily share your faith. Even though I would, I know that there's Saudi students that are studying at Andrews University right now that I know that's a great opportunity but I think the reality is, is you don't necessarily have that mindset when you're going to an Adventist school because you know that you're surrounded by Adventists. At least that's the assumption. So I want to share with you a story about a young man named Kevin. And that is his real name. And I've asked permission to share his story. So um, Kevin was from a mid-sized city in Michigan. And he enrolled at Michigan Technological University after going to a community college. He was studying there. And I called him an MIA student, Mission in Action, because we'd sometimes see him on Sabbath, and then sometimes we wouldn't. Because Sabbath was his day to sleep in, because any of you guys know, your schedule is intense, right, when you're studying. Well, he began to come out to Friday night Bible studies. He began to come out to Sabbath afternoon. And it so happened that he actually ended up becoming the president of the organization. He became so involved. But then all of a sudden, he began to withdraw. And I guess something, um, we didn't see, I wouldn't see him at church sometimes. He wasn't coming to Bible study. And I remember just feeling a deep conviction. I need to meet with Kevin. I texted him. I was like, Kevin, I want to meet with you. And he was like, uh-oh. And I was like, yep, we're going to meet. And so, now mind you, I had a very good friendship with Kevin. And so we met in the computer lab of the building that he was in. I think it was the engineering building. And um, I found out that someone had done something in the church that really hurt him deeply, like deeply hurt him. And he's like, I'm just not even comfortable going to church anymore. And um, I don't know if you guys have ever known someone that's had that experience. I didn't even know this was happening. I didn't even know this was going on in his mind. And so I apologized on behalf of the church. And I said, I'm so sorry that you've had to face this. But I told him, I was like, Kevin, I don't want you to become a statistic. I care too much for you to see you just walk out the door. Because he was becoming a statistic. He was about to just walk out the door and just not come back to church. And he knew that himself. And he's like, you know, I'm going to, I will come back. And I was like, I will talk to the individual as well. And um, I was able to mend that situation. But you know what I want to tell you today? He is an elder in his church. He was, this past, for I think two years, he was actually the school board chair at his church for his church school. And you know what he tells people today? I would not be a Seventh-day Adventist Christian if it weren't for the public campus ministry at my university. The reality is, is I had a classmate of mine that went to the exact same university 
almost 10 years before apart, because I was a non-traditional student when I went back to school. And it was the worst experience of his life. At our reunion, he's like, what happened when you were at you know, Michigan Tech? And I was like, it was great. And I told him all the things we did. He's like, I had the worst experience of my life. It was terrible. I don't know that he believes in God today. He's a, he's a professor that teaches concepts of evolution. Two very different people at the same university. One had a campus minister there at that time. The other one had nothing. That moves me to the next point. Studying at a public university is one of the dangerous things you will ever do. I enrolled at Michigan Tech for no reason but to start a campus ministry. I had no intentions of graduating. I did not care about an education as the world considered an education. Because the reality is, is when you go to these universities, they're teaching you things that will brainwash you. And I can say that because that, I, I realize that. Oftentimes, young people, we go to school because we want a good job. We go to school, and this is, and I, I'm saying this is the same thing if you go to an Adventist university or if you go to a public university. You go to a university because you want an education that's going to give you what you're looking for in life. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be having stability. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be able to provide for a family. But that should not be your focus on why you go to a university. That should not be your focus on why you choose any major. There should be one reason and one reason only, and that is to be a missionary for God. Whether it's in engineering, whether it's in IT, whether it's in teaching, whether it's in mortuary science. Whatever reason you're going to the university, if it's other than being a missionary, then you're there for the wrong reason and you're in danger. I want us to look at these texts. If you have your Bibles, take, um, look with me at Colossians 2, verse 8. If I could have a volunteer to read that, I left my Bible in my backpack, which I don't know where my backpack is right now. Oh, it's right there. So if someone could read that for me, Colossians 2, verse 8. Okay, go ahead, nice and loud. Okay, so it's this idea of teaching based on men. What does the world teach you? What does the world teach you why you should go to school? To get a job, right? All about the G, uh, what is it, GPD, GDP, right? Yeah. So that gross product, you know? So uh, how much you can contribute to society financially, right? That's what the world teaches you. And it's saying, do not listen to teachers that are teaching you about the principles of the world. And that's what these professors are doing. Okay, let's go to the next verse, James 2.27. Can I have another volunteer to read that? James 2.27, nice and loud. There is a mic if... Oh, then it's... No, it's 127. Sorry, it's 127. <laughs> That's not 227. It should be about pure, it's, 20, it's 121. It's pure religion and before the Lord is this. 127, okay, thank you. That should be 127. At least I remembered. Okay, someone want to read that? and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. 
Pure religion? What is that last thing? To keep oneself what? Unspotted from the world. Going to a public university is a dangerous thing. Why? Because you will become spotted by the world. You will become influenced by the teachings that are there. I'm going to skip the last verse, but take note of it. Look it up. I want to share this. I'm not one for reading long quotes on the screen, and so apologize for doing that. But this quote just illustrates so perfectly what has I've been impressed with in my personal experience. So, uh, Danny, I'm going to have you read it. Sure. Thank you. The advice given to the students to the effect that it's essential for them to go to Ann Arbor in order to obtain a Finnish education is a mistake. They will obtain an erroneous education in which error and infidel sentiments will be mingled with truth. Many thus advised become unsusceptible to the truth. And a season spent at Ann Arbor will serve to mold their characters after a false standard. And the soon return of, uh, is the soon return of Christ a reality to us? Let every student seek to reach the highest point of education and be fitted for an inheritance with the saints in light. If he is educated in such a way as to reach this, he will learn that which will continue throughout eternal ages. So there's a, there's a danger. But what does she say? If he is educated in such a way as to reach this, reach what? The highest point of education fitted for humanity, which is eternity. That... That must be the premise of which you enter into education. If you are at a public university and your mission is to reach that campus, it should not be to graduate. Let me give you an example. My last year in college, I just wanted to be done. God made it clear that I needed to finish school. I wanted to drop out so many times because I'm like, what's the point of this? This is not advancing the kingdom. There were so many classes I was taking that was just totally against what God was, I knew was true. So I was having to study twice as much information because I would go back and study what God said about it and then I have to study my own text. That semester, I had 17 credit hours. I was working three jobs. I was a Sabbath school superintendent at my church and I was also the president of my student organization. Now, is that a good idea? No. Why is that a bad idea? Burnout. But, okay, burnout. But on a spiritual component, why is that a bad idea? There's no time for the Lord. Exactly. What happened my senior year in, high, in college? There's a, and I'm going to finish with this quote. Oh, I went the wrong way. Because this will illustrate it. The very last part, she says, but I scarcely dare present this method of labor, for there is a danger that those who are not connected, who have no connection with God, will place themselves in these schools, and instead of correcting error and diffusing light, they themselves will be led astray. But this work must be done and will be done by those that are led and taught of God. And what I found is that because my mind was not fortified by God, I was struggling with having my devotions every day. I was barely being able to kneel down next to my bed each day, each day and pray. When I graduated from, from the university, I was spiritually bankrupt. And this is someone going in with the purpose of being a missionary. And I'm sharing this not so much to 
be a, a damper, put a damper on things. But just to give you the reality that, mind you, we had baptisms at our university every single year. People that were one to Christ every single year that I was there, people were baptized while I was struggling, you know. But that's not a evidence that, that you're doing what, you're, what God has called you to do. My encouragement to you is that the one reason why you're at a public university is to reach someone. And if you make that your one, that one principle, that's the purpose of why you're there, you know what will happen? God will give you opportunities to minister to people. God will give you opportunities to start small group Bible studies. God will give you opportunities for your classmates, for your peers. I remember I began praying one time for this geology class. I had to say geology. And I was like, Lord, please give me someone that I can reach. And the Lord placed, unbeknownst to me, like paired me with this wonderful girl from the Middle East. And we had these amazing conversations. We would, we would share, like I would share verses from the Bible with her and vice versa. And it was just, well, not from the Bible. She would share verses from the Quran. But she just began, she began to love the promises that I shared with her. The point that I'm making is that this is such an urgent, urgent work. But it's a very dangerous work. If you are committed to giving your life to the Lord every single day, God will reap a mighty harvest on your campus. I'm not here today to show you, tell you a lot of practical things that you can do on your campus, but I am telling you that the Holy Spirit will teach you. I brought some resources here that if you want some practical things, you can definitely take those. But my encouragement to you is one, whatever reason you're on your campus, even if you're a professor at a university or a college campus, use this as an opportunity, as a platform to share the gospel. Ask God to give you opportunities to plant those seeds of truth. And in so doing, God will reap a mighty harvest. You may not see the harvest of those seeds, especially if they're international students. But I can guarantee you that God will use you in a mighty way. Yes. And yeah, thanks for your message. I just have one comment. Um, yes. I just want to make sure. Uh, thanks for your message. And this is just a, a thought. Yes. That, you know, as parents, we send our kids to two choices, you know, public or Adventist. Yes. But I also feel that, um, you know, the Adventist schools may not be what we had hoped, you know, in the past years. Yeah. So you're this, the young people going to Adventist schools must also... Yes. Be strong and continue doing campus ministries because yes. just because you go to an Adventist school doesn't mean that you're safe. Exactly. I myself went to public school you know, mm -hmm. and I was part of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship as well. Yeah. Where you mix with other denominations. Yep. We just sent our daughter to public because we made the choice that, you know, if you go to Adventist system, it's good. Uh, I'm not against the Adventist system. I mean, my, my wife was uh, taught in the system as well, but there's mm -hmm. a lot of dangers and false teachings. They have to be strong. And make sure they're exactly. well grounded. Either way, it's going to be it's going to sink them if they don't have a personal walk with the Lord. Exactly. No matter what reason that you go to the university, whether it be an Adventist or a public university, it must be to be a missionary. That it is you are giving, and you must have that filter of the Holy Spirit that's teaching you. I agree. Any other questions or comments? Yes. And this will be the last one. We'll ha I'll have prayer, and then because we're supposed to end at 1245, and then those that can go can go. Go ahead. 
So often people decide to go to um, public universities because they think that that's where they'll be able to minister um, and teach God because uh, teach people mm -hmm. to God because they think that everyone at the academies or everyone at the universities already know about God and they already have enough. And sometimes they don't even want to go there because they don't want to compare themselves to others, uh, like like spiritual wise, like where mm -hmm. they are in spiritual wise, where they, like if they want to get there. But like I think that you know, like it's really that we have to listen to where God wants us to go because yes. I truly believe that even in the Adventist schools. Like that's where we need God the most so that we could be able to have yes. a built principle and foundation of who God is and where he wants us to go so that we could be able mm -hmm. to go to those public universities and also out of like out of just that place of the, you know of just wanting to minister to the people that already knows the things we have to be able to like we have to know God and we have to mm -hmm. not stay in the level that we are but like go to the next level and mm -hmm. next level but we have to be missionaries even in our own churches yes. so that we could be able to minister mm -hmm. to those who are not in the church. Yeah, yeah I believe that it's, um, you know, even with the, the difficulties that we do find in our Adventist universities, there are, you know, I mean, we have, a, there's even a, I think he's a chaplain. He's one of the associate pastors at PMC. He's here. He's a wonderful, wonderful pastor to the students that are there. And so there's, there are opportunities that are, I think that's the biggest difference between our Adventist schools and public universities. At an Adventist school, you actually have an opportunity to grow spiritually if you want it, if that's what you're looking for. There's also the opportunity to, to get involved in all kinds of shenanigans, just like you would at a public university, but you at least have an opportunity to grow spiritually if you want to. At a public university, they're not interested in your spiritual health. They're not interested in your relationship with the Lord. They're not interested in your eternal salvation. And that, I think, is probably what you find is the difference. But I think ultimately, as you both shared, is you need to know where God is calling you individually and personally. And you need to be grounded in the truth. Let's close with a word of prayer. Eternal Father of heaven, we've been so thankful that you have given us counsel, that you've given us your word, you've given us so many examples. But most of all, you have promised us the, the Holy Spirit, that we may be guided, that we may be able to know what is your will for our lives personally and individually. Lord, we thank you for this. I pray that you be with each individual that's here, especially those that are studying on public universities. Wrap your loving arms around them, set a hedge of protection, a standard against the enemy. And I pray more than anything else that you will use them to be a light on this campus, that, they, that their campus may be prepared for your eminent return. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.